0: Do you have your Bible with you this morning? Go ahead and grab it and hold it there in your hand. If you don't have one, we've got some in the chairs in, in front of you. Grab one, though, and hold that there. You know, folks, when you and I hold a Bible in our hand, we're holding the most read book in human history. There, there's no other piece of literature that has been read by more people than the Bible. Now, that's a fact, now, as we open the Bible up and talk about, okay, what's the most read thing in the Bible? I mean, there might be a couple of things in the running, right? The Ten Commandments, maybe maybe the Lord's Prayer, John 3, 16. I think one could certainly make the case that perhaps the most read words ever, think how many funerals there have been. It certainly had a thousand-year head start on, on any New Testament passage. Possibly the most read words ever are Psalm 23. When when you and I walk into Psalm 23, we're going where more people have gone than ever before. More people have gone to Psalm 23 than the Grand Canyon and the Eiffel Tower combined. Yeah, throw Disney World in there too. More people have gone here than to to Shakespeare. And I think the reason so many have gone is because it calls the soul. Man, when we're inside of Psalm 23, we know, man, there, there's something here. I'm, I'm pretty sure of. This, this is what I need. This has what I need. I, I guess my big question is, do we indeed leave with it? Let's look at Psalm 23 this morning. If you don't have your Bible already open to it, go ahead, right in the middle of the Bible almost. You open the middle, maybe a little to the left, you'll find the Psalms, get to the 23rd one there. Psalm 23. Isn't it exciting, folks, to read Psalm 23 and there not be a casket in the room? I mean, it seems like most of the time I read this Psalm out loud, there's, well, y'all got the picture, but there's not today, praise the Lord. We're not dealing with that. You know, as I read this, I want you to imagine that you're, you're, you're sitting over a cup of coffee with David. You know, you talk about, boy, what would it be like to meet this biblical character or that biblical character? Well, I want you to think about that right now. What, what would it be like to sit down and talk with King David, the man after God's own heart? I don't know what all you would share, what he might share with you, what you might share with him. But I am confident that if David sat down with you for any amount of time, sooner or later, he'd say, man, let me tell you something, I want to share my story. I want to share with you what God has meant to me. Because that's exactly what we have in Psalm 23. A very personal story. David sharing with you and me what the shepherd has been for him. And he starts off by saying, the Lord indeed is my shepherd. And man, in that statement alone, I I, I have no need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I want to stop right here and say... You know folks there's two ways we walk through that valley obviously the big one that comes to our mind is when we die right one one day we have to walk through that valley but there is another way we walk through that valley when somebody very close to us dies when when a mate when a when a parent a friend a child man that that's walking through the valley of the shadow of death and the shepherd's there for that i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff I like how one commentator kind of broke this up into an outline. It's not really the direction I'm going or what I'm doing today, but I just thought you might want to write this in your own, in your Bible there. Verses 1 to 2 are everyday needs. Verses 1 to 2 are are what meets our everyday needs. And then you get to, or verses 1 to 3, and then you get to verse 4, that's emergency needs. Verse 4 has what we need in the midst of emergencies. And then verses 5 to 6 is the eternal needs. Verses 5 to 6 meet the eternal needs in our life. Now folks, I want to do something a little bit differently this morning. I want to read the psalm again. I want to read it all over. I'm changing Bibles just because I'm changing translations. Maybe a different word maybe catches us a a little bit different way. I just read out of the English Standard. I'm going to read out of the New Living this time. But here's why I want to read this particular psalm a a second time as if I had not just read it. You know, whenever you and I, and the human brain does this. Whenever you and I come upon familiar words, did you know we zone out? Because we already know what the next word is. So whenever we come to something like the Lord's Prayer... Psalm 23, the Christmas story. The moment we hear those words, we just, we just kind of shut down. Because I already know what's coming. I can be listening, I can be hearing, and yet I'm really not engaging. So I'm not implying you didn't, but, but let's read it again. And this time I want you to really, we're still sitting there with David, okay? And I want you to really work at engaging with what, what is he sharing? What, what, is he, what is he wanting me to get out of this? Listen again says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. You know, even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I'm not afraid. He's close beside me. His rod and His staff, they protect and comfort me. You, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live. What a profound line. You know, no other shepherd provides this opportunity for you. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, whatever translation you read, I, I, for me, the line that just grabs me that I can't quite get past, that I can't... Is that real? Is that second line, or at least second line, and depending on how it's kind of written, written poetically in your, in your Bible, but it's that line. And I think almost all translations just about say it the same way. I shall not want. I, I like the way the New Living said it. I have everything that I need. Now, I read that line and I think, What? I mean, is that, is that a real offer? It, can that really happen, a life with no need? I mean, folks, all we have is wants and needs. Some of us wouldn't have anything if we didn't have needs. I mean, that, that's what we... I'm talking about physical needs, spiritual needs, mental, emotional, relational. You know what, folks? I'm suggesting that the wealthiest of us, the most content and satisfied of us, we have needs. So, so where does a line like that factor in oh we have moments right well we have moments where needs are not up there on the front burner well we we have moments where everything just you know it just kind of seems right right and good. I I had one of those moments recently. We were on vacation, and we were down in the Outer Banks. And uh, as a matter of fact, we had just arrived. My daughter, Mary Beth, and her husband, Kevin, had been there the week before with his family. And so we kind of crisscrossed. And so one night, we got both families together, and we went out to, to dinner. And that was kind of fun, kind of a celebration, especially with the wedding just having been a month or so earlier. And man, we went out and just enjoyed a great meal together. Now, that's a good time for most of us, isn't it? Family, friends. A, a good meal. Now, we went to Hurricane Moe's. If, if you've been to the Outer Banks, you're familiar with Hurricane Moe's, aren't you? Home of the 10-cent uh, shrimp, 25-cent wing, and dollar taco. Obviously, the perfect trifecta of culinary combination. I mean, who would, not, who would not combine those three things? Oh, and what a meal it was. We had, I don't know, nine, eight, 900 shrimp and like 400 tacos, and I don't, I don't even know how many wings. When, when we left there, now I'm full. I have no need at that moment. I, I have no need, physically speaking, as we walk out of that restaurant. But, on, you know, just down the road is, I don't know, about a mile. Coldstone Creamery. I don't know. I just, I felt like it'd be rude not to stop by and say hi. And, and so we, we went there next. And, and I ordered, I don't even remember what I got. It, it mocha chocolate explosion, or so that's about what happened. But, you know, I, I, went, I went in there, and we got ice cream, and, you know, so, I mean, I definitely have no need now. I am full, okay? And I walk out, we walk out, and it is a beautiful evening. I mean, it's, I, I'm not a big fan of the beach weather, not, not real big on all that, but it was, it was really a nice evening. And so then we went, and we kind of have an annual tradition of, you know, the Han the, the Tournament Challenge of putt-putt. And, uh, you know, if you've been a member of this church any amount of time, you've been a member of this church the whole time I've been here, 10 plus years, you don't hear me tell a lot of golf stories, do you? Yeah, there's a reason for that, okay? There's really very little to talk about when a golf club's in my hand. And so, but we went out there that night. Magic. It's unbelievable. I... I shot a minus, now first of all right there, I will never, you will never hear a sentence about golf where I use the word shot and minus in the same sentence. I shot a minus two. I don't know if it's appropriate to say I shot when you're on a putt-putt course, but that's what I did. Let me tell you how good I played that night. You know how when you're doing really well and you're about to finish and then you start to choke because you realize how well you're doing? I did. On 17, I shot a four. On 18, I shot a five. On the last two holes, I shot four over and still had a minus two. I own that course. And I own my whole family. It was awesome. Unbelievable. So guess what? When I got into bed that night, you think I'm thinking about needs? No, man, I did. when I got in bed night-night, everything in life was right. It was good. It was per- Oh, there's needs out there, but they're not, that's not what I'm thinking about. That was a wonderful moment. And I share all that for this, folks. David's not talking to you about a moment. Psalm 23 is not a recipe for having a good moment, having a good vacation. Psalm 23 is not even about having a good year. David's talking about an entire way of existence. He's talking about an entire way of life. How is that possible? Monday morning, I came in. I started working on this passage. I see that first line. I can't get by it. That, that, how can you legitimately be talking about that? And I sat down and I started thinking, what are the needs in my life? And I said to myself, I have great conversations with myself. I'm going to make a list of what I perceive to be my needs. And I'm going to stop when I pause. You know what the pause is, don't you? That's when you move from the front burner to the back burner. You see, when I made these leads, I'm not saying these are the most important, the biggest, or the most significant. These are the ones, okay, when I said, what are my needs? And I just started writing them down. The moment I paused, I stopped. And I wrote down 14 things. They they are right there. You can't read them. You don't need to. 14 things. I said, man, these were right here on the front burner of what I felt like was a need in my life. There's personal things here. There's some family things. There's some job things. But well, you'd probably be interested. What, what do you consider a job need? I'm not sharing that. Put that away right now. Fourteen boy, man, Lord, if you met these 14 needs. i tell you, folks, I'm, my life would be perfect if those 14 things were taken care of. be absolutely perfect. But the cynical pessimist Smee says, even if God touched and met all 14 of those things you know you know what the next sentence in my mouth would be wonder how long it'll last 14 days i mean really honestly and this is not just my experience folks the bible teaches me this we live in a fallen world right we live in a world where anything and everything can break and it does we live in a world where anything and everything can be lost and it does So in that knowledge, how can David actually say, hey, I want to tell you about a life where you have everything you need. What are you talking about? And so then I start thinking, okay, now who's saying that? Well, David's saying that. Who's David? Ah, that's that's why he can say that. David's king. He's king of the world. I don't remember all the historical characters right now, and I didn't take time to look it up. But if David's not the most powerful man in the world at this moment, I'll tell you something, he's in the top two or three. And he's wealthy beyond anybody in here's imagination. So I stop and think, well, sure. Yeah, I guess if I was king of the world and super wealthy, I guess I'd say I have everything I need too. But is that the context out of which David says, I've got everything I need because I'm the most powerful person in the world and I got tons of money? You know... Um, David buried three children. I've walked with a couple of couples through that. I can't imagine a greater grief, a greater burden, a greater need to carry. He buried three. One baby, two adult kids. You know, David was a very successful king, but you know what he was successful at? He was successful at war. You know, even if you're good at it, that doesn't mean that's where you want to be. It's still war. There's still blood. There's still people dying. You're still losing friends. And yet I wonder for David, did he really consider his greatest enemies to be foreign? Did you know that David was betrayed inside his home? He was betrayed by his, among his leaders, his court. And David was betrayed by people in the nation. You've been betrayed? You've been lied about? You've been disappointed? You th- does that create any need? Any hurt? Any loss in your life? You know, a lot of us, when we think about our needs, we usually are pretty close to the home, aren't we? Because that's where we have our greatest needs. That's where we expect and want the most. Um, David, the great King David, the man after God's own heart. I, I don't know how to say this any other way. You know, David was a... Uh, he was a bad dad, it, it, plain and simple, he was a bad father. A lot of the problems in his life resulted from his home and almost completely on his shoulders. His, his negligence, his wrong decisions had to be a heavy, heavy burden. A heavy sense of need as he carried that. David was smart. He was smart, he was smart mentally. He was smart, smart spiritually. He could look at his home. He could look at his life, see what was going on there. There had to be overwhelming guilt. So when we say that David's standing here saying, I want to tell you something, man. I've got everything I need, and I want that life for you. He's not saying that just from the position of, I'm king of the world. I got more money than I know what to do with. He's saying that, hey, I've been betrayed. I've been lied about. I've buried three children. Sometimes it's easier. I don't even know if I want to go home. It's just nothing but a mess at my creation. And yet it's in that context that he delivers this story. And what does he say that the, the shepherd provided for him? Let's walk down through this. I use the word quickly. We'll decide at the end if I was quick or not. He says here, he makes me me lie down in in green pastures. I want to say here that his experience with the shepherd was that he found rest and provision. Now, when I say rest, I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about a good night's sleep. I'm not talking about a, boy, I'm coming off a vacation. I feel like I'm ready to go again. You know, when you have need, it weighs on you, right? When, When you have need, you're stressed out. With need comes stress, comes worry, comes frustration And a lot of times, I know I do this in my life When I'm worried and I'm stressed I make things that are right bad (laughs) I can take things where there's no problems and make problems Because that's what worry and stress does for us And he says, you know, I found with my shepherd You know, he he guides me to a place of provision And it provides that peace Says he actually, he makes me lie down he brings me to that place where I can, I can be made to enjoy and experience rest and peace from that stress. And folks, you know what? When we think about needs, don't we just tend to think about the physical needs? You know, you know the source of emptiness, the source of what creates needs has a lot more to do with sin than it does bills. Sin is what does that in our lives. We forget that. Even us church folk... Even us church folk that get together and look at the good book and remember the rules once a week. Even so, we go back out, I'll go into tomorrow, and you will, I will, will choose to sin. We will choose to lie, we'll choose to cheat, we'll choose to steal, we'll choose to be sexually immoral, we'll, we'll choose to hold on to that anger. Choose it. We act like it's thrust upon us. No, it's not. You grab it. You seize it. You own your anger. You own your bitterness. You get revenge. You get this person to not like this person because it makes you feel better about yourself. Do you know why we do all these things? Very simple. Because we look at that moment, we look at that situation and we say, that's what will resolve my need. That's what will meet the need in my life. And I guess we just lose our mind for a moment because we forget that it is sin that does not fulfill and resolve and fix. Sin is what devastates and separates and frustrates and breaks. You'd think after one or two tries to the sin trough, we'd say, not for me. But we go back. We go back. So you see, when David talks about the shepherd providing that rest... I kind of hear him here saying, "Hey, listen! All the way from forgiveness to finances, from the from the spiritual to the physical, he can bring you up over that hill to that place of green meadows." He said, oh, "There's what I need, and I can, I can rest." Second thing that the shepherd provides is guidance, and I, and I love this phrase about being guides to still waters. You know, folks, we read something like this. It's real easy for us to. It's being poetic, right? I mean, there's no real need here. There's no real explanation. It's just being poetic. It's just being beautiful. No, there, there's something very profound being communicated here. Sheep, just like you, just like me, just like any animal, sheep need water. But here's the weird thing. They're afraid of it. They're especially afraid of moving water. And I think part of it is just instinctual. You know, if I'm a sheep, I'm thinking, man, I'm covered in wool. If I get wet, I'm sinking like a rock. I can't swim. Little tiny feet. Eh, eh. I can't do it. And so instinctually they know water's not safe. But they need the water. So here's what the shepherd does. They come up over the hill. There's the answer. See, I'm a sheep. Give me water. Give me water. I'm dying of thirst. There's the answer. But that's not the place. It's moving water. It's white water. Right answer, wrong time, wrong place. I wonder how many of us have tried to trust that God has the right answer for us but we bad God we give up on God because He's not providing the timing and the place there it is right there why not right now I wonder if the shepherd's saying because it's not safe right now you know folks there might be answers that God could provide for me that would be safe for me but they're not safe for you or answers that He would provide that are safe for you and not for me but here's the beauty I don't have to figure it out I don't have to figure out what's safe for you not for me what about now what about this Our shepherd has an incredibly perfect knowledge of you. He has an incredibly perfect knowledge of the situation. And he not only shows the right answer, but at the right time and the right place. Now that's guidance, isn't it? And then it says that he he renews or he restores my soul. Now you could look at that line and say, well, that's a lot like the, the first line, right? I mean, renewal, you're getting rested, you're getting refreshed. I take this line, I'm a little bit more simplistic with this line. God enables me to get up and go again. I'm not talking about relief from stress or the answer. You know what folks, David says, I found in my shepherd, he gives me the ability, whether it's physical or or mental or spiritual, he just enables me to get up and go again. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You ever just been beaten up and thought, I just don't want to face it. I I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to go into that room. I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to deal with it. You just physically... mentally, you're just worn out. You don't want to face it. David says, man, I've been there, but my shepherd, he just got me to get up and go again. Fourth thing the shepherd leads to, boy, this is a place we sure can't lead ourselves to, holiness. He he leads us to that, that path where I'm in right standing with God and right standing with others. It's the most beautiful path there is. He leads me there. You know, I wonder, folks, when you and I make that list, here's mine, if we just hurry real quickly and write down, what's my needs today? Do we write down godliness and holiness? Can, can I step out on a limb and say, no, we don't? Now, when I say that, let me be clear. I'm not saying that you don't know that holiness is a need in your life, that godliness is a need. I, as a matter of fact, I look around this room, I would assume most of you at some point in the day, in the week, would say, boy, I, need to, boy, I really need to grow in godliness. Boy, I know that's an area that I need to develop. I I think many, most of us would have that thought. But where do we have that thought? I wonder if it's too often after we've pursued all the needs on the front burner. Do we really see that front and central to the need in our lives? You know, if we don't, that may be the very reason that we're really not ever arriving at peace and contentment. Because there is no real strength. There is no real perspective. There is no real joy apart from godliness and holiness. You know, Satan can offer you everything here in Psalm 23. That whole list up there. Satan, well, not the last one. He'll give you eternal home, but it's not the one you want, I promise. Satan will give you every one of those things. Here's the problem with what he gives you. It's counterfeit. You can use it for a while, but pretty soon you're going to find out, hey, this isn't real. Hey, this is empty. Hey, this doesn't work. But that's not the worst part about him offering you all these things. The worst part is it has a price tag. Do you know back what I said a moment ago, I think on point one, when you and I choose to lie and steal and cheat because that'll meet the need of that moment. You know, it's after we're already committed to that that Satan pulls out the price tag. And nobody in here can pay it. That's why it adds to the guilt, the frustration, the failure. Nobody can pay it. See, Satan and the world are going to lead you to a path where pretty soon every part of the path you're looking behind is a mess. You can't fix it. You can't pay for it. There's no answers. Jesus says, hey, listen, I want to lead you to a place where you're right with God, right with others. I buy the whole thing. I fix it. I pay for it all. Only He provides that. Next thing that He provides, protection and comfort. In that very, maybe, what would you say? I don't know, what's the most famous line in this? The Lord is my shepherd, or even though I walk through the valley of the... shadow, I, to, Kind of a toss-up, isn't it? Maybe, maybe one of the most famous lines in all of Scripture. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As I said, the valley, that's me walking through it. That's also as I go through it with family and friends. Even when I walk through that. You know, David says, hey, listen, here's the deal. You walk out the door, there's enemies out there. You walk out the door in the morning, there's problems out there. Some of them you feel like there's no answer to. You can't fix it. Listen, the shepherd will be the protection you need. The, the, The shepherd will be the comfort that you need. Now, you and I could sit here and walk through every enemy and every problem in life, but let's just do this. Let's just cut to the chase and let's go to our biggest enemy. Let's go to our biggest problem, death. Yeah, God's got that. And if God's got that, then guess what? He's got all the enemies short of that. He's got all the problems short of that. The shepherd will be that protection and that comfort. And and then I love this next one. He gives me a table. A table? I mean, you got to look at those first couple of things. Well, those are the big things of life. They meet the need of the soul. And The, the table? What, what do I need a table for? Hey, folks, stop and think about what happens at a table. Well, what happens at your kitchen table? What happens at a restaurant table? Well, one, we enjoy good food and we always like that, right? But you know what happens at a table? Life. You share the day. You share ideas, you share dreams, you make decisions. A lot of times we come together, we're sitting down at the table, we're sitting down, we're making some big decisions. Life is lived, life is shared, life is celebrated at a table. And the shepherd says, I've got that table for you. I've got that place where we're going to fellowship and we're going to share and we're going to celebrate. And let me tell you how profound, let me tell you how secure what I'm providing for you is. Can you imagine David saying this? If your enemy is seated at the table next to us, it means nothing. You ever been enjoying something and then have the enemy walk in the room? We won't shake our heads there, but I'm guessing we all have. That'll take all the fun out of a good meal, won't it? I'll take all the fun out of it. of a matter of fact, some of you are so consumed with some of your enemies, you can't enjoy anything once their name is mentioned. Okay, you got that idea in your mind? You see what this is saying? Hey, we'll enjoy and we'll celebrate and we'll live life, even if they are sitting right there. That's what the shepherd wants to provide for you. And then goodness and mercy. I love this, folks. The real picture of life ought to be this, ought to be. It's not enough. Here's the picture it's Jesus, it's me. And then behind me is goodness and mercy. Now, the part of this picture that gets fouled up is I get in front of Jesus a lot. But it's Jesus, it's me. By the way, you do too. It's Jesus, it's me, and then it's goodness, and then it's mercy. They're they're following me like coachmen. I like how one commentator said this. God has goodness for my steps. He has mercy for my stumbles. You see, when the shepherd's guiding you, folks, he, he only wants to guide you to what is good. Now, he might use some things you don't think are good. But ultimately, the shepherd's always guiding to what is good in your life. Now, we resist his guidance sometimes, don't we? We resist it, we fight it, we rebel against it, and then we stumble. Guess what? He's got mercy for that. And I don't know about got sometimes I'm so overwhelmed that when I wake up in the morning... Just like the passage says, God's got a brand new fresh bucket of mercy for me because I wore the one out yesterday. You know, people do that with us, don't they? They wear out their welcome. They wear out their chances. Can you imagine what would happen if you wore out your chances with God? But it doesn't say there that goodness and mercy will follow as long as... No, goodness and mercy will follow... All the days. I don't know about y'all, but not all my days are good days. But there they are. And then this whole thing is wrapped up and it says, Hey, the shepherd ultimately is going to lead me to an eternal home. Now we could stop right there. Oh yeah, that's heaven. Yay, heaven. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about. But I want to do something a little bit different here. Folks, look at those first seven things. That's what we want in a house, isn't it? When you get in your car and you leave work, you leave school, you leave the grind of life, when you pull into the driveway, when you walk into the door, folks, those first seven things pretty much represent what we want in a family, what we want in a home. Man, when I walk in there, I want to be able to rest. I want to let the guard down. I don't want to have to fight and claw and defend my needs in there also. I mean, that's where I'm at. I want there to be comfort. I want to be protected there. That's where I want to be restored, renewed, ready to go for the next day. Man, that's where I really need things to be right. That's what holiness is. Man, when things aren't right in the home, it doesn't matter where else their right is, does it? All seven of those things, especially the table, <laughs> that's what we want in the home. So I see David finishing his story and he's saying, hey listen, my shepherd will guide you to every one of these things and ultimately at the end of the shepherd's path, you walk through the front door of his house and you stay there there forever. If you'll walk close to the shepherd, you'll experience these things, but you're going to stumble and you're going to mess it up. But the bottom line is you just stay close and one day you walk through those doors and it's forever. You know, you and I, we shoot for that. At best, we inconsistently provide those things for our home. At best. At worst, well, we don't even need to go into that. The shepherd says, hey, when we're done, we walk through and that's forever. Every one of those things, forever, perfectly, consistently, always. Now, who at this point does not say, so where do I sign up for this? Are you done with your sales pitch? I want, I, I want that. Yes, I, I want this. How, how does this happen, David? How does your story become my story? There's two things that have to happen, and these two things are in the first line of the psalm these two things are in the first five words first five words the lord is my shepherd here's the first thing that has to happen the lord is what's it say my my shepherd it doesn't say the lord is a shepherd that would communicate i could could i not have given all the same sermon if it said the lord is a shepherd it doesn't say the lord is the shepherd he is but that's not what it says It doesn't say, as a good church person would say, you know, I've been in Bible study for a time now, I've been studying the Scriptures, and I have determined that God is a shepherd-like figure. And He does good shepherd-like things in our life. That's not what David says. David says, the Lord is my. Folks, that word my, does that not just ooze with relationship? Does it not just ooze with belonging? David said, man, he owns me. I am possessed by him. That is my shepherd. You know, if if you have your own Bible and a pen, when you get to the word my, put a backslash. You know, like that thing you do with the computer? Put a little backslash there. Here's the question. Is David's shepherd your shepherd? Does the shepherd have you like he had David? Here's why this question is so profound. This is huge, folks. This is why you got to put a line by that my. If you can't get past my, none of the rest of the psalm is available to you. If you can't get past my, you just wasted the last 15 minutes because that's all I've been preaching. Don't tell yourself it's another amount of time. It's just been 15 minutes. It's got to be my or there's no rest of the psalm. Is David Shepherd your shepherd? You know, here's the good news: He wants to be. Can you imagine that? The shepherd wants you to be in his flock. He he he, he wants to own you. <laughs> Why would I want to be owned? Oh, we get to the heart of the gospel right here. I would want to be owned because I know I'm a sinner. What the Scripture communicates is, and I'm a sinner. I'm not doing okay owning myself. I'm I'm not doing okay with this life that I've made. I've got a problem and I can't fix it. We say that we believe we're sinners. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Okay, somebody there clearly loves me a lot. That's worthy of my attention. That's worth me of understanding. Oh, what's this guy about? That he would die, that he would pay the penalty for my sin. We say in the gospel that I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We say, I believe Jesus rose again. Oh, okay. So this guy is not only loving, he's powerful. He can conquer death. Boy, he's really worthy of my attention. We say then, I believe him to be the son of God. Oh, Wow. He's not only worthy of my attention, He can demand my attention. He can demand that I yield my... See, all these elements of the gospel that we say we believe, that's actually supposed to show up in a mentality of how we live. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to come be a part of my flock. I want to possess you. I want to be your shepherd. Jesus says in John chapter 10, a a, a New Testament passage, just pregnant with Psalm 23. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm that one David was talking about. I'm him. My sheep. Oh, wait a minute. That's Psalm 23, isn't it? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Relationship my follow i give them eternal life psalm 23 i give them eternal life and they will never perish look at this no one not even the enemy at the next table no one can snatch them out of my hand that's jesus offer to you will you come to him today as your shepherd you know the only thing it requires is that you turn from all other shepherds because we're all looking for what's found in psalm 23 Sometimes we look for that in in the things of the world. Sometimes we look for it in a person. Most of the time we look for it in ourselves. We have to turn from ourselves as the shepherd of our lives. Will you do that today? Will you turn from any other shepherd and let Jesus alone be the shepherd of your life? Now, a lot of us in this room... Would Say, hey, wait a minute, time out. I've done that. I, I, I believe I have genuinely and faithfully done that. I've turned from self. I can say that Jesus is my shepherd, but I don't know that I can say I've really consistently experienced Psalm 23. There's a second thing, and there's two other words in those first five words the word Lord and the word shepherd. The word Lord and shepherd are two distinct words. They have two different meanings. And yet I think they're really kind of synonymous in this moment right here. The word Lord, it means boss. It means owner. It means God. Now you think about how that works in the relationship. That means he sets the agenda. He sets the values. He sets the priorities. Where are we going today? What are we doing? He sets all that. That's what lords do. That's what owners do. That's what bosses do. Well, think about a shepherd. Do sheep tell the shepherd how it's going to be today? Not not usually. Sheep don't say, hey, shepherd, here's what we're doing today. Here's what we're going. But folks, here's our problem. That's how we end up relating with the shepherd. I'm not saying we choose to. I'm not saying that you have voiced that. You've thought that. But I think the way we practically end up living is we ask Jesus to get behind us. When I get up in the morning, I know where I'm going, I know what I'm doing, I know how I want to do it, I know how I want to deal with that person, I I know everything about this day, and what I pray about, what I would like, is I'd like Jesus to get behind me. Oh, I love Jesus. I want Him coming with me wherever I go today, but I want Him behind me. Excuse me. And as I go through the day, what I want Jesus to do is just reach out and touch and bless and fix and and just make it all work and come together so that at the end of the day, the most important person in the universe is happy. Me. Do I think you've said that and thought that? No, I do not. Do I think that you and I practically end up living that way a lot of days? Yes, I do. And Jesus looks at you and He looks at me with nothing but eyes filled with love. And He says, no. I will not follow you anywhere. Because there is nothing about your wisdom. There is nothing about your strength. There is nothing about your leadership that is going to take you to anything in Psalm 23. The most unloving thing I could do in your life is submit to you. The most unloving thing I could do in your life is take a seat right behind you and just bless and fix as you go doing what you want to do. No, the only way this works, folks, is when you and I submit to the lordship, submit to the shepherding of our shepherd. Folks, Psalm 23, this tremendous story of David's life is for you. There there is nothing going on in this world. There is nothing going on in your life that would suggest why this is not available to you. We've just got to answer two questions. Can you say he's my shepherd? And number two, am I, are you actually... I'm not talking about what what you believe when you're sitting in church. Am I actually daily in everything on purpose following Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to the close, I ask that You would give us wisdom as we leave here. Give us wisdom to look... truthfully into our heart and answer that question about whether we really belong to You or not. Lord, if we start looking at at how good we're trying to be at the religious ceremonies that we've got covered, would You remind us, would You show us that none of those things make it a my, my shepherd? Lord, if there's anybody in this room that today needs to invite You to be their shepherd, may today be the day that happens. And may they do so consciously knowing what other shepherds they're turning from. Lord, many of us in here today can call You our shepherd. Would You help us just kind of look back over the last seven days? Just, Just the last seven days. God, can we see Where and on purpose we followed you? What decisions? What relationships? What conversations? What in our attitudes? What in our our dress? What what in our entertainment? What in our lives can I say? That's where I followed Jesus. That's where I followed Him. That's where I followed Him. And Lord, if we can't see those things, help us right here and right now to repent. Repent. Help us to turn from this very wrong way of relating to you. This very wrong way of living out what we say we believe. And would you guide us in, the, in what the first step looks like for us to really begin following you. So that we wake up tomorrow morning and it's the first thing on our mind. Okay, what is following you today look like? Give us wisdom to see that and answer those questions in Jesus' name. Amen.